0: Wow.
1: Listening to the voice of Islam Radio. Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and Imam Imran Akram. And I haven't seen Imran for a while now. I think he's avoiding me like the plague. <laughs> Is that <the> truth? <laughs> no, no, absolutely.
2: I love doing a show with you. Oh, I mean, how have you know. been? Uh, I'm good, uh, especially, you know, I was busy with the Jalsa Salana mm-hmm. and uh, then a couple of, you know, classes with children and stuff like that. I'm uh, doing usually, you know, missionary field work, exactly. but I'm glad I'm sitting with you. <laughs> oh, 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 well, we'll soon see after two hours.
1: And <laughs> um, what do we actually have uh, for today's show? Yeah. I think it's quite topical for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, very interesting topic, current topic, like uh, in the first hour, we'll be talking about the um, junior doctors' strike mm-hmm. on their, you know, wages. And uh, um, we're talking about what is this Islamic stance on strike, and uh, uh, what's the doctor, you know, what the doctor say on um, why we are striking? What's, what's the mm-hmm. reason? And I mean, it's quite interesting issue, especially in current, uh, you know, relation. And in the second hour, we're going to uh, talk about the major diseases. And uh, I mean, uh, when I was, uh, you know, reading um, uh, some of the script, I was amazed uh, to know that, you know, uh, major diseases like cancer, mm-hmm. uh, cardiovascular, and dementia—they're going to increase, uh, you know, fifteen to you know more than fifteen percent, uh, mm-hmm. you know. As yeah, compared I think
1: to the the, the article was from Sky. Yeah, um, they were uh, reporting. That one in five adults Mm -hmm. will have a major, will be uh, diagnosed with a major disease uh, by -hmm. the year 2040. And so you would have thought, really, uh, in this day and age, Mm -hmm. Um, we should be going the other way, right? Absolutely, it yeah, should be yeah, less people yeah. being diagnosed with chronic mm-hmm. uh, illnesses and major diseases. Mm-hmm. But it seems uh, it's going the other way. So those are the two topics: junior junior doctors striking or the junior doctors strike. And the, I suppose the real reasons as to why they're striking, because on the surface mm-hmm. you could say yes, it's about pay. Okay, but it could be about conditions. So mm-hmm. we've got uh, a packed show mm-hmm. uh, with our guests um Regarding that, on both topics. Okay. And if you want to join in the conversation, please do call us on 0208 687 or tweet us at voiceofislam.co.uk. So, you know, as to uh, you know our first topic, uh, the junior doctor's strikes, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware. I'm sure you are, actually. Uh-huh. Right? The, the The doctors are actually on strike currently. Okay. So they're currently on strike until 7 a.m. on Tuesday the 15th. Okay. Uh, the BMA is calling for uh, NHS junior doctors in England to take strike action or have taken strike action for four days, and that was from Friday over the weekend till Tuesday. Mm, tomorrow, uh, I mean, yeah. Till tomorrow. Till, till tomorrow, yeah. Now, you know, this is, the, uh, this is for the fifth time this year, mm-hmm. uh, and they've staged a walkout uh, in this ongoing dispute primarily over pay. And uh, the BMA are demanding, and it seems a lot, Mm-hmm. Right, thirty-five percent increase, arguing that junior doctors have lost more than a quarter of their pay over 15 years as, as a result of salaries not keeping up with inflation. Okay, uh, but the government have said a six percent uplift given to junior doctors, which is it says, is the equivalent of an average increase of eight point eight percent, in addition to a consolidated uh, one thousand two hundred and fifty pound rise, is fair and reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost eight hundred and thirty five thousand uh yeah eight hundred eight hundred and thirty five thousand appointments have been postponed wow. since industrial action began in december so it 's touching on a million right a one hundred and sixty-five thousand off a million True. um uh, appointments um i mean where do we stand i mean who is right and you know what is the correct sure approach. approach yeah. I mean, what does it say? What, you know, we're the voice of Islam. We like mm-hmm, to look through, mm-hmm. or we should look through, mm-hmm. um, <coughs> things that affect our society uh, today through the prism of Islam. I and mean, does mm-hmm. it doesn't say anything in the Holy Quran about
2: it. I mean, absolutely. Allah, the Almighty mentioned in the Holy Quran, that, you know, Wal Ihsani <laughs> Wa Itaiz Al Qurba Wa Yanhaanil Wal Munkar. That verily really God enjoys justice and the doing of good to others and giving like kindred, and forbids indecency and manifest evil and a wrongful transgression. He admonished, he admonished you that you may take it. So, um, I mean, uh, in the Holy Quran, it does say you know that uh, there are three levels uh, of you know good things and there are three levels of bad. A virtue, mm-hmm. and the justice you know uh, implies that a person should treat other as he is treated by them. So, I mean, uh, justice should be upheld, uh, whether uh, in any scenario uh, or case in society, whether it's we're talking about the genuine doctor's pay rise or uh, any particular issue. Mm-hmm. So, I think justice should be uh, done. And uh, if they deserve
1: um, to to pay better, they should be. Mm. I mean, I think, I suppose the argument is, you know, when, when you're hit with or, you know, the headline the media would want us to 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 take on board is oh it's a 35% rise that uh-huh. they're asking for mm-hmm. but if you put it in context if they haven't had a pay increase for so many years mm-hmm. and then they're having increases which are not in line with inflation right so say for instance yeah I'm going to give you let, let's pull some figures out there I'm going to give you a, a pay increase of 4% but mm-hmm. inflation's Ten percent. Ten percent. It doesn't so really it means that you actually your 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 wages that you're getting in your pocket yeah. are not keeping in line. You can't afford to live, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean we're living in a country now whereby we have more food banks than we have McDonald's outlets. Oh I goodness. mean, that's ridiculous, oh, okay. right? Okay. But uh, to speak more about this, uh, the junior doctor strikes and the underlying, you know, the the, the reasons, right? Uh, that uh, the junior doctors are there. We're joined by our first guest of the day, Dr. Sarah Safir uh, uh, who is a intensive care doctor. She's been involved with public policy impl- implementation with the World Health Organization. She's also heavily involved with Medicine Sans Frontières, so that's Doctors Without Frontiers. Uh, a peace and blessings be upon you dr Syra. thank you for joining us on the drive time show
3: thank you for having me
1: so um, this is the i suppose the f- last full day of striking for junior doctors right so we're going to talk about we're going to look at some of the underlying issues here i mean can you provide some context um, for these strikes because media would would have us believe that actually you know what government is giving you um what seems to be around about a nine percent uplift plus a little kind of a um lump sum of one thousand two hundred and fifty thousand shouldn't you be grateful
3: before i give you a bit of context of why we're striking i think you made a very very clear very simple example just now with regards to what is a how can you classify a rise Mm -hmm. if it's not in line with inflation (coughs) that undoubtedly in itself is a decline in your salary Mm -hmm. and not an increase so I think that's a very important thing to clarify at the beginning Mm -hmm. junior doctors are not asking for a pay rise junior doctors are asking for pay restoration Right now the media as you already hit you know touched on the point it's the public perception is heavily influenced by what you read, what's, what the headline in the newspaper says in the morning. And I think uh, a lot of people have ha- have been influenced by it. And when you speak to them, they're saying, 35% pay increase, doctor.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: th- this is unreasonable. How is it going to happen? Now, th- this is where proper knowledge, sort of educating the public about what's actually going on comes into play, which is obviously what we're trying to do through, through this platform, is that can you know, they... BMA, British Medical Association, which is the union of doctors, junior doctors within the UK, and it's uh, all the junior doctors are striking via through BMA. Um, It's a threefold policy that they're they're essentially speaking to the government on trying to reach some sort of resolution. Now, the first one is a T4 pay restoration. As you already highlighted a few numbers, Um, this is a pay restoration since 2008-2009. So doctors are a group within society who technically have been the victim, not uh, victim is a harsh word to use, but they've essentially occur- incurred about around 31% pay decline over the course of the last 15 years. Now, this should have been addressed year on year on year. Mm-hmm. And the, re- the fact that it's been less for 15 years, it's escalated into a far greater greater number mm-hmm. because obviously when we hear it, it sounds a lot more um astounding to
1: us yeah i mean in absolute <laughs> terms yeah if you're just saying oh okay this is a 35 percent rise uh and that's just for the year i mean yeah. the context that uh, i think you're putting in putting this these strikes uh are for is not the the case that actually you know what it's not just that we haven't had a pay rise but we've actually had deductions in our pay over that period of time and that period of time is sorry how many how many years is it since so So 15 15 years
3: years. so if you take it from 2008 to 2009 it's 15 years 31 percent pay decline so regardless You know, maybe we don't reach that sweet figure of 35%, which the doctors are asking, but we need some sort of a middle ground. Mm -hmm. The government at the moment is quite stringent on that 8%. Doctors, obviously, rightly so, are asking for 35%, and that is not a pay rise, pay restoration. Mm -hmm. So we need to reach a middle ground on that. I'll I'll quickly just go through the other two as well. So the other two factors that the strikes are happening on, one um, is the fact that, the gu- we need to have some sort of policy in place which safeguards doctors in the future against a similar sort of situation arising, whereby it says that with inflation, wages will go up in line with that. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, um, we need a, a review of DDRB, which is essentially the doctors and dentists review body, who is meant to be an independent organisation who, val- who sort of provides input to the government about what is a reasonable wage increase year on year and i think their authenticity their sort of rigor has been questioned in recent times whereby it's thought that they might be being influenced by the government and i think that that is the third thing that the bma is saying that we need a we need a review of that to make sure that is an independent body so that it's not skewed towards one party or the other
1: mm-hmm, fair <laughs> enough
2: so, uh, Doctor Saira, we see that you know the the, the junior doctors are, are striking now fifth time this year. Uh, mm-hmm. The main problem is the wages, or uh, you know, what is the uh, like um, core reason for strike uh, in the first place, or there are some other hey. reason as well.
3: So the core, the core reasons are the three that I've mentioned. So pay restoration being one, second being the fact that we need a policy in place in order to make sure wages rise in line with inflation, and thirdly, the review of the DDRB. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, again, as I mentioned earlier on, it, it's this concept that it's purely just a monetary strike whereby we doctors are just asking for m- more money. Now, I, 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 in simplest terms, mm-hmm. the job that I do, I can't put a value on it. Okay. Me, I, I'm, a critical, I'm working in critical care at the moment. I can't put a value or number on going and telling one of my patient's families that mm-hmm. they are potentially palliative. You know, th- this, a doctor's job is not something that is done for money.
1: Mm-hmm. It's not comparable in terms of wage, uh, wage structure to a barista mm. from Costa Coffee who's getting about <laughs> roughly the same per hour. No, uh,
3: because you're comparing it to someone who's who's needing to having that dis- that very, very heavy, mentally taxing, mm-hmm. physically taxing yeah. discussion totally. with people about 10, 12 times a day, actually, you know, or, or just, you know, being in that environment whereby you have a patient coming in through A&E who, who needs resuscitation. Mm. The- these are not comparable skills to any other job. Mm. You-
1: Dr. Saira, though, uh, I mean... I totally um, empathize with the the situation. I mean, how do, you know, these strikes highlight, you know, the balance between, you know, like you're saying, providing quality patient care and ensuring uh, the well-being of medical professionals yourselves, right? Because, you know, in my mind, being a doctor, it's not about the money uh, initially when you go into being a doctor because it is quite a taxing uh, journey becoming a fully fledged doctor right you've got five years medical degree two mm-hmm. years of uh, residency or mm-hmm. yeah two years post and then even then you know you have a rotation to do so for me mm-hmm. it's, it's a vocation you really have you know you are actually in, in terms of islam mm-hmm. upholding uh, the rights of your fellow human beings right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Um, as regards to that I mean that that is a delicate balance i mean how uh, how have how have these strikes highlighted that balance now between you know on the one hand providing quality patient care and then also ensuring your own mental well or your own uh, well being
3: oh. hmm. Of course now these things are not at a the balance. these things are both of very much utmost importance. You cannot have a doctor who's not who's not well providing good quality patient care. However, the root of both of these, you're never going to get good quality patient care if you have doctors that are unwell. So Mm -hmm. if we're to address one or the other, I think we ought to address the well-being of medical professionals prior to make... It will essentially aid us in achieving that second Mm -hmm. goal, which is providing the best quality of care to our patients. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, you know, medicine is a vocation. Yes, it is. Because as I mentioned earlier, medicine is not a job that you pick for the money. Medicine, as a doctor... You're obviously at the end of the day, Shafa is in Allah, Allah's hands. But mm. as a doctor, you you know you know you're doing something on your part to help humanity. Yeah. And it, if it's eventually taking a toll on your mental health, your physical health, at some point, you know, you reflect on it. Mm-hmm. W- what am I doing? And just to put in a, a figure there that I was reading the other day in the BM, BMJ, which you know, I was so astonished to read doctors despite you know having the knowledge of mental well-being and um, thoughtfulness and all these all these other factors they're actually the group within society that have one of the highest suicide rates mm. and that was you know that that's very demoralizing for me that as a profession despite having the knowledge that my colleagues reach to that extent, which is which is terrible. Nobody should reach you
1: know, mm-hmm. at that
3: mm-hmm. point. Yeah, like, who cares for the carers,
1: care. really? The exactly. You
3: have to have to essentially go to that. So, yeah, I think um, your doc- doctor's well-being is patient best quality care mm-hmm. for your for our patients. Okay. So, inshallah, <laughs> we're able to do that. So I think the the patient care will automatically. Hmm.
1: Yeah, but that's improve. the thing, Doctor Sarah. Right, in in life we are given choices. God has given us choices, right? But you know, seldom do we have the uh, situation where it's a win-win, right? Sometimes, you know, there's a cost-benefit, and whereby, you know, now it's getting to, I think, the NHS has got to the situation whereby you really have to think uh, as a doctor, and I was Actually, quite flabbergasted because I asked the question yesterday at a family gathering, Mm. Uh, you Mm. know, what qualifies you to be a junior doctor? And the answer to me, I I thought, oh, okay, it's those just newly qualified. But actually, Mm -hmm. no, you're a junior doctor and that's it. Once you've qualified and you've done your rotation, you're a junior Mm -hmm. doctor until you become a consultant.
0: Yes, yeah. Right? So you could be a junior doctor for years, right? Yeah. Yep.
1: Uh, and you're still on, I think, you start basic at twenty three, twenty four thousand, mm-hmm, 24,000, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, I think Imran's got a final question.
2: Yeah, Dr. Sai, you kind of explain the problem. So how can the public and listener, you know, support the junior doctors and engage, you know, uh, constructively with the issue at hand? course.
3: Well, I think the the, fir- the first thing is making sure that you have an open mind. Mm-hmm. Um always look at media the the headlines that you read with a eye of skepticism never just blindly follow something always get your knowledge right of course once you've had the knowledge you've read up exactly what's going on and then you decide that you know one one either the government and you have to remember this is not a dispute or, or an argument between the government and doctors it's it's just something where there's a problem and we ought to work together to reach a resolution. Doctors hate striking. The last thing I want to do is strike, not see my patients, go back to more sick patients, have my patients waiting for longer. It's not something I want. And that should be very clear. No doctor within England wants to strike. Every doctor works, you know, studies for six years, works for however many years to see patients, to help people. So, remember that as patients as general public remember that we Mm -hmm. are we the last thing we want to do is strike and the reason we're striking is to get the government to sit at a table and reach a resolution eventually um so that's the first thing make sure that you're open to knowledge make sure that you're reading everything Mm -hmm. whether it's bma whether it's government whatever it is make sure that you're reading and getting knowledge about it second is When you see a doctor ask them you know ask them why are you striking what's going on i i I love it when you know sometimes i'm in a public place and someone asks me oh you know what's going on with the junior doctor strikes and i i feel a pleasure that i'm able to give some knowledge onto Mm -hmm. them and perhaps explain better um and if you if you go to the doctor say to them you know that one line something of support you know that we appreciate your work or something along those lines that can be a a form of support or a form Mm -hmm. of engagement with it it doesn't have to be something big you know it doesn't have to be on a it
1: it doesn't have to be a clap on a thursday you mean (laughs) exactly it doesn't
3: honestly it just has to be a sentence it has to be a smile Mm -hmm. to show your support Mm -hmm. that's more than enough to get me through a day of work if Mm -hmm. one of my patients is happy with the care that i've given
0: so
3: I think yeah, it's a very simple thing. It's just being open to what's going on and having mm-hmm. the relevant knowledge prior to making your decisions.
1: Well, Doctor Sarah Sophia, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and having you exactly. clarify you know, the the kind of like the background of or the context of the junior doctor's strike this afternoon. Thank you very much for joining so us exactly on the Job Time you. Thank you. Have a good day.
2: I mean I mean, Dr. Saira was, you know, I was mentioning, you know, working in healthcare um, is a tremendously, revo- you know, rewarding job, and helping people heal, uh, heal. And, you know, providing comfort during pain and even bringing them back uh, from near-death situation can give a sense of, you know, accomplishment like no other. Mm. And, uh, you know, um, in Islam, uh, saving a life is deemed equivalent to saving all of mankind, as mentioned in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty says, And whoso saved a life, it shall be as if he had saved the life of all of mankind, chapter 5, verse 33. I mean... However, it must be remembered that medical health professional work, you know, under a lot of pressure. Under yeah, under exactly what pressure. what
1: Cyrus like saying yeah. or Dr. Cyrus like saying. Yeah. And, you know, if we remember, <coughs> I think uh, during COVID, mm-hmm. we were asked by the government to come out on our doorsteps to clap the efforts of our carers, mm-hmm. our doctors. And they were our frontline mm-hmm. staff. Okay, mm-hmm. They're treating uh, COVID at risk to themselves. Over 100 uh, NHS staff perished because okay. of COVID, right? Okay. So, you know, there is a figure mm-hmm. of mortality um, associated with that sacrifice mm-hmm. that they're, they're giving, right, mm-hmm. for us. And uh, yeah, according to an NHS staff survey, mm-hmm. nearly 44% of NHS staff in England report feeling unwell from work-related stress, the highest rate recorded in the past five years. And this goes back to something that Dr. Cyrus was uh, saying, that, and And it 's understandable because it 's their profession, right, mm-hmm. so they 're looking after other people right right, and they forget to look after themselves who okay. look after al- yeah you know, who cares for the carers? carers.
2: i mean uh, I can relate to this because uh, you know um in my neighbors um um uh you know there 's a nurse and uh, I usually talk with uh, with her husband and you know he always talk about that uh, she, uh, my, my wife you know works uh, in hospital and she always bring you know these kind of viruses and you know a chest infection mm-hmm. and I mean uh, I was thinking about that and her children affect us also because of you know yeah. uh, you know uh, she bring um, these kind of viruses so I think it's a it's a, it's a huge sacrifice as well uh, and doesn't matter how much you care you're going to get them anyway And um, and on top of that
1: you're getting
2: uh, wages uh, like equally like I I think I I mean if we
1: if we jump in on the stats here right Uh uh, a junior doctor is anyone fresh out of medical school right up to those who have 8 to 20 years of experience right Uh Uh, there are about 80,000 junior doctors in the NHS uh, which currently makes up about 50% of the doctor's workforce Mm -hmm. and about 60,000 are actually eligible to strike Mm -hmm. those striking have said that there is nothing junior about the work that they do they will be treating patients assessing new patients preparing patients for s- surgery and answering never ending bleeps as they have to run to the theater now as with the nature of the job and the, the, the beast that is being a doctor uh, they will end up working extra hours unpaid hours uh, before they go home at the end of the day I mean it's not as if something like if you're I, and I'm not belittling office workers right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but say for instance I've got a report that needs to be finished Actually, maybe I can just okay, just delay it by a day, yeah, right, and just yeah. leave it. But if you've got a patient who you're just stepping out, you know, you finish your rounds, right? You're stepping out, and yeah, you know, the nurse says, "Look, you know what? There's something wrong with this patient." Are you going to say to the nurse, "Okay, uh, I'm off my rounds now, but uh, I'll have a look in tomorrow"? I mean, that patient <laughs> might have died Absolutely. overnight, right? So there is there lies the difference between mm, you know, what these work what these working practices are, really, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Um, but I've, I think we've got, uh, you know, kind of like, I'll rein myself in, actually, Imran. <laughs> Chuck some cold water on me. Uh, we've got our next guest uh, speaking about this uh, issue. Uh, we've got Dr. Nadeem. Uh, so Dr. Nadeem is, uh, also, uh, who is working as a GP trainee in South Yorkshire. as alaykum, peace and blessings be upon you, Dr. Nadeem. Thank you for joining us on The Drive Time Show.
4: Wa alaikum assalam. Jazakallah for
1: having me. So we're talking about the uh, Doctor Junior strike, which is currently uh, going on. I mean, what is your take? You know, you're you're in a GP practice. Uh, I'm led to believe, right? Yes. So yeah, you know, what do you take? I mean, what's your take on the strike? And you know, you know, what do you think about it?
4: So um, the junior doctor strike uh, started this year. It's an ongoing industrial action. We're currently in our fifth round.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, simply put, doctors are asking for pay restoration.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: So since 2008, uh, if we actually calculate the actual pay decrease we've had, it's around 27 28%. Um, so we've had a substantial pay cut uh, over the past 15 or 16 years. And I think there were probably two (coughs) recent events uh, in the near history, Mm -hmm. which probably were a catalyst in doctors feeling that they needed to strike. Uh, The first event, I think, was COVID. uh, Doctors were uh, working day and night, saving patients' lives against the virus. We had no idea what the virus actually was. Mm -hmm. Um, And risking their lives, basically. Yes, yes, yes and doctors got a clap and um, you know with all the sacrifice (laughs) sorry dr nadim
1: was that not enough (laughs) (laughs) well
4: uh, claps don't really pay the bills (laughs) true that
1: true that speak power to the truth
4: yes and the second major event was the war in russia ukraine yeah Mm. Uh, so that's pushed up oil prices it's pushed up uh, grain prices and overall inflation is at an all-time high at 10 percent so Um, That's probably been one of the major catalysts in doctors' feeling that they've had a pay cut. I mean, um, I mentioned we've had a 27% drop in pay. The starting salary for doctors is £29,000, which is around £14 an hour. If you look at, like, a Starbucks employee uh, Mm -hmm. who's about 23, their starting salary... I thought it was a a Costa
1: Coffee, but it's it's some kind (laughs) of barista, isn't it?
4: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But their starting salary is thirteen pounds an hour. So if you look at the skill set of a doctor versus a barrister, mm. um, you know, doctors obviously five years of training. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of skill involved, and at the end, at the end of the day, they're at the forefront of saving patients' lives. So um, doctors definitely feel that they are not being valued enough. Mm.
1: That's for sure. Mm. True.
4: The current offer of eight percent and the lump sum. Um, it's simply way below um, what doctors actually expect, and mm. that's the pay restoration.
1: Mm. Some say it's almost like a smack in the face. I mean, not myself, but some some have been reported saying that. I yeah, mean, how, yeah. how? I mean, how? Because currently, uh, there was another stat that came to my mind: waiting lists have never been so long—seven point yeah. five million. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The only time that they had a dip was, well, I think, um, you know, when. It was a Labour government in 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 power, but yeah, you know, seven point five million. So you know, how do these strikes impact the overall healthcare system then?
4: So strikes are actually designed to be disruptive. Mm-hmm. This is how junior doctors have leverage. Uh, they come together and they create disruption, and that basically forces the government to try. Well, it puts pressure on the government to try and change the policy and basically make the arguments of doctors heard. So striking in medicine is quite a sensitive topic because of patient safety. So doctors would never sacrifice patient safety. Mm -hmm. That would be a direct Mm -hmm. violation of the code of doctors. So I just want to clarify, first of all, emergency care is not compromised. Mm -hmm. When a strike action is announced, it's announced weeks in advance, and hospitals uh, get together to try and mitigate uh, the risk due to uh, to short-staffing. So they prioritize emergency care. So a lot of doctors often, uh, one of the senior doctors, uh, they all move to ED, and there's a lot more staffing there uh, to cover for that. Now, um, if there was a situation of genuine safety concern with short staffing, the hospital can raise it with a BMA, and doctors on strike can actually go back to work. The one thing which is being impacted, as you mentioned, is routine care. So this is clinics, operations, and each strike action uh, causes delays uh, in 170 to 200,000 operations and clinics.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: So, this will lead to disruption and frustration, and uh, however, the actual strike action that doctors are doing, we feel that the risk of doing strike action is outweighed by the benefits in achieving our goals of improving the pay for doctors, making them feel valued which will lead to retention of doctors. Mm. So we're looking at the far sight, really. And hopefully this will improve patient care if we can keep the good quality doctors in and keep a good morale. But Mm. uh, I completely acknowledge that in the short term, there will be increased disruption, Mm. although there is already massive disruption anyway. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah.
1: It's just like a drop in the ocean, really. I mean, I did quote the 7.5 million, and that is Mm. a year-on-year uh, total exactly. and you know in, in, in terms of uh, NHS England I mean yeah. you know as a comparative all you've got to do is look at NHS Scotland right Yeah,
0: yeah. so yeah. it's
1: a totally different story up there waiting lists have yeah. kind of like I wouldn't say they've dramatically decreased but you know you have a better working environment for doctors and yeah. they are our, well they're part of the UK right and I don't see yeah. why um, I, I'm obviously it's above my pay grade uh, mm. Not that I get paid for doing Voice of Islam at all, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not in our realms to, to, to kind of like work out as to why, you know, yeah. the, 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 the local government up in Scotland have got it down to a, down to a T regarding Scott, you know, NHS Scotland as uh, we don't, don't seem to have a handle on, handle on it in, the UK, mm. in, the, in England. Mm,
4: certainly. Uh, you're totally right in saying that it's a small drop in the ocean. I mean, there's uh, millions of, uh, uh, as in the delay is in the millions. Mm. So a small, you know, couple hundred thousand, is not going to make a massive difference in the grand scheme of things, really. Mm. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Dr. Nadeem, um, whenever we heard um, like a word strike, we have like a negative sense of this word. So is there any, you know, misconception or misunderstanding about the junior doctor strike that you like to, you know, clarify?
4: Um, Yes, so I think it was clarified earlier by uh, Dr. Uh, Sarah, so There's a huge misunderstanding that doctors are asking for a pay rise This is not the case. We're asking for pay restoration. Uh, We want to be paid the equivalent adjusted for inflation back to 2008 Um, So I mentioned earlier that a Starbucks employee is on pretty much the same salary
0: Mm -hmm.
4: so we want to be valued, we want our skills to, you know, have value and at the moment the government's not doing that so mm. this is all about pay restoration okay. it's nothing to do with a pay rise as such mm-hmm.
1: um, And I think you're right that is the biggest, I suppose um, elephant in the room really calling it a pay oh uh, sorry, uh, you're, you're striking for a pay rise as opposed mm. to the reality of it which is a pay restoration. Now mm. Yeah, as a final question, I mean, look, we are where we're, we are, right? Junior yeah. doctors, uh, BMA, uh, you've balloted your members or BMA has balloted its members and, you know, the strike action has been called. Obviously, you know, everyone wants to see a resolution, a negotiation. I mean, uh, what are the potential potential solutions which can hmm. address, you know, the concerns, not just with pay restoration, but. Um, as respect to the junior doctors, but you know the healthcare system as a whole, because you know you, you know, there was another word that you used in there. I think Dr. Syrah was like saying, which is doctor retention, because you know ultimately there's no point in paying someone the the bucks if that person has gone and left the country. Yeah, mm. for for better feel. Yeah, for uh, for better um, work life balance abroad. Right, mm. Uh, mm. and. Yeah, so, so what do you think are the potential solutions?
4: To be honest with you, with the current government, I think they're too stubborn to um, to, to, to give a substantial rise. They've already given an 8% rise, a 6 to 8% rise with a lump sum of, uh, I think, twelve or 1,300. And they're saying they're not going to negotiate any further. we are already, already in our fifth round of strikes. And I'm seeing, as the strikes go on, there's less doctors striking.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, to be honest with you, I'm not, I'm, I personally don't see a situation where the government will give, you know, the 35% or even half of that,
0: mm-hmm.
4: to be honest. I think what might happen is it may slightly advance on 8% perhaps.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but I think eventually the doctors will strike less and less to the point where the strikes are non-existent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we probably need a change in government, a change in leadership, um, a government which supports junior doctors, because at the moment I don't see the case with the Conservatives.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I feel, I mean, we've, it's a fifth round of strikes today. Mm. If, if the government would have listened, they would have made changes a lot earlier. So,
0: yeah.
4: And as strikes go on, the public perception gets more negative.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Now, if the public perception gets negative on doctors, then the doctors kind of lose their leverage because the government can blame the problems on the nhs directly on doctors mm-hmm. so in that way doctors may lose their leverage and the government don't have to give an, uh, a better offer
0: mm.
4: so with the current government no i i, I don't see much of an improvement um, mm. i think we need a new government and uh, i hope we we can change the government
1: soon. <laughs> mm, well, uh, yeah, those are your sentiments. There are it some of matter. us. Yeah there, yeah, there are some of us in the studio who would who, who'd kind of like be in the same boat as you. I would say <laughs> I'm not going to name anyone, but there are. <laughs> anyway, Dr. Nadim, thank you very much for your time with us. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. O two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or tweet us at uh, Voice of Islam UK. Um, so, Imran, I mean, you know do you think, yeah, you know, after speaking to Doctor Saira and Doctor Nadim, uh, where we're at, do you think there is there there's, there can be some kind of negotiation, some resolution to this? I mean, um, I mean, it's it's a right
2: to, of of the doctors to you know st- uh, to strike uh, if they are if they you know if they feel that they are and um uh, you know having unjust treatment mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time uh, i mean uh, islam teaches us the moderation that one should take a middle path you know middle path and uh, allah says in the holy quran that la al-jahra bisu'i min al-qaul illa man zulima wa kana allah alima that allah likes not the public you know um avowal of evil except on the part of the one who is wronged. Allah is all hearing, all knowing. So I think uh, the solution is that, um, you know, um, uh, they should, uh, you know, the the government should take this issue seriously because uh, at the end, uh, the patients are, uh, you know, uh, having impacting the most because Mm -hmm. um, um, they're very, you know... um, um, serious patients who are waiting for their operation and also doctors should be, you know, take care of... Uh, mm-hmm. Of uh, I mean, you know.
1: just to give you some context, it's mm-hmm. reported that these strikes have cost the NHS £1 billion. Uh-huh. And the figure accounts for finding cover for absent staff, uh, making up for lost appointments, which the NHS chief financial officer estimated makes up a third of strike costs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the government is willing to cost... The Taxpayer, this kind of money in the sense that they don't want to resolve this issue, you know. I mean, and that's just wasted money, really. Yeah, right? I mean. But to speak more on the uh, re- regarding this, the junior doctor strikes, we're joined by our next guest of the day, Dr. Bhakta. Uh, now, Dr. Bakter Ahmed is a junior uh, doctor currently working in AE and the founder of uh, Medic Life, a company that's helped over 2,000 students into medical school. I wonder. Uh, peace and blessings be upon you, Dr. Bhakta.
5: Welcome, Salam um, to for having me today.
1: Yeah, so maybe not so, well, you've helped over 2,000 students into medical school. Maybe, given the current situation <laughs> with becoming a doctor in, in England, that might not be the case. Who knows?
5: That is, a, that is a very concerning point, and I think it's something that I get asked quite a lot is, you know, the, with the work I do outside of my life as a doctor, helping mm-hmm. the next generation of future doctors,
0: mm.
5: am I doing the right thing getting them into a profession where so many of us are struggling and obviously are needing to strike to such extent, um, and whether, whether working in a different environment would be a more beneficial outcome for them, and is that the right advice to give? that's something that I constantly find myself asking myself mm. um, whether it is the right thing to do and I think one of the one of the things that we've mentioned earlier in terms of doctor retention as a doctor you basically have a passport career we can go anywhere in the world mm-hmm. and do what we love and do what is important which is helping save lives and also helping change lives for the better mm. and being in a border for example in England or the United Kingdom you know is not the only place you can do that so why would, you, why would you stay in an environment where you're not treated, in, our, in our, the way we see it, is unfairly, mm-hmm. um, and go somewhere else, somewhere, you know, some of the popular destinations like Australia and New Zealand where you would get much fairer pay, mm-hmm. um, better working conditions. And, you know, what you were saying earlier in terms of, you know, who cares for the carers, after a 10 or a 12-hour shift, sometimes even longer when you end up staying late, You still have to come home. You still have to sort your life out, Mm. make the food, do the laundry, pay the bills. So this is why pay restoration is ever so important for us.
1: So, I mean, I don't think we're going to go over the same type of questions that we've Mm. asked Dr. Safir and Dr. Nadim. Mm. We know pretty much where we are in this situation. What I will ask you then is why do you think the government is doing this?
5: In terms of not. Well, in terms
1: of. uh, I have an idea. I'm Mm. going to chuck it out there. Uh, There's (laughs) been a lot bandied around about the privatization of the NHS, right? And the movement to force. Well, actually, what's a quick remedy? What's a short term fix for all these. Mm. For this 7.5 million, uh, almost over uh, 7.5 million waiting list, right, in NHS England? Well, isn't it private healthcare?
5: I think that is, that is, again, quite worrying because, like you say, it's a short-term fix. It would be very easy for the government to throw some money onto private organizations, getting someone to come in and tr- take care of those waiting lists, whatever those clinics are, mm-hmm. um, whether they're minor operations. Some of them are major operations, which still you'll need big teams and they will stay in the NHS. But that would be a short-term fix. And, you know, essentially private organizations, if they're making lots of money, what does that mean for the government? It means big amounts of corporation tax for that then comes back to the government. So money-wise, in the grand scheme of things, I think the government ends up profiting from privatizing the NHS. Um, it means that organizations end up pay- paying doctors who probably end up leading the NHS and working for private organizations. And I think at the end of the day, the people who suffer, the people who are suffering right now, will end up being the patients, which is uh, quite unfortunate. Mm. Mm.
2: Um, Dr. Ahmad, um, how have negotiations between the junior doctors and you know medical um, associations and healthcare authorities uh, progressed? And uh, what challenges have uh, arisen during these negotiations?
5: I think the negotiations are, I, in my opinion, I don't think they're going well. Mm-hmm. I think there's a significant delay getting back and forth between the two sides who are, I think the best example I can give you is the first round of strikes a few months ago when the health secretary released a statement in the evening of Friday when the junior doctors were set to walk out on the Monday. Um, Bear in mind, the government doesn't really stay in office over the weekend, whereas junior doctors, they do work over the weekend. (laughs) So, you know, they released a statement where no one could get back to them and it was just almost in a way, please don't go on strike, we may talk about it, but there was Mm -hmm. no figures exchanged, nothing was done. And I think that is the best example I can give you in terms of how negotiations are going. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Nadeem mentioned really nicely that the government are very stubborn, Mm -hmm. um, and I think from their point of view, unfortunately, they're not the the victims here. Um, Junior doctors are in a very difficult position where we are having to, in a way, preserve our future, but the future of the NHS, and we're worried that the care that we would be able to provide our patients going forward 10, 15 years is going to decline and continue to get worse, as we've seen over the last few years. And if we're not able to improve the conditions for us and also our patients, things are going to deteriorate even further.
1: Mm. So do you think, Dr. Bhakta, right, that you know the government's stance on this is that they've given an offer 8.8%, Plus a lump sum of 1,250, and you should be happy with that moving forward. Um, And then just waiting for, uh, you know, and having these uh, concerted, you know, strikes happening uh, through with the junior doctors, that, you know, it is actually um, the government's wait and see policy uh, as to a lot of other different issues whether it be the uh, migrant crisis uh, you know the refugee crisis or that they seem to want us to believe that there is Um, you know just is that what uh, in your opinion is happening uh, with government policy just wait and see and then if we wait wait long enough we'll get the result that we wanted.
5: I think that is that's what the government is playing for essentially, because the, currently the junior doctors are reballoting. So the initial ballot that the junior doctors were sent, we had over 77% responding, um, and from those who responded, 98% were in favour of strikes. Mm-hmm. We are currently mm-hmm. the British Medical Association is currently reballoting because by law you have to do so um, for the next round. If we do continue to strike, if the government don't budge, which seems like the case. Um, the 8.8% actually includes the lump sum, so it's actually a 6% rise oh, okay. with the lump sum, so that then takes it to 8.8%, which if you look at the £14 an hour, ends up being just over a 50, 50 pence rise per hour wow. rate. So the yes. grand scheme of things, you know, when you really dig at the figures, which a lot of the public are getting from the media, mm-hmm. and I think the media, again... You could argue that a lot of that is being, the agenda of the government is being pushed. And again, Dr. Ndeen mentioned, Dr. Sarah mentioned, the one thing that is so important is changing public perception here. Because Mm -hmm. what currently is happening, in my opinion, is that the, the public are being made to show that the doctors are not caring about them and the waiting list and everything is getting worse because of the doctors. Mm. And therefore, that pressure then comes to us. For example, I had a patient yesterday. It's all working. and E. I had a patient yesterday who, unfortunately, is going through a chronic issue, and he's waiting his next clinic appointment, and he's frustrated and coming to A and E to ask for further help. Now, his next appointment is a month down the line, and these issues, you know, unfortunately, in those cases, to be seen by a specialist, there is a delay. So that pressure then comes back to the junior doctors. Um, And we're constantly being bombarded. And my understanding or my opinion is that the next ballot would have a lower number of junior doctors voting yes to strike further.
1: Yeah, because because ultimately, ultimately, Dr. Mm. Bukta, right, it's the junior doctors because when you're striking, you're not getting paid, right?
5: We're not getting paid. No, that's so right. is, I think is, that's is right. actually
1: hurting you, whereas, you know, I, I'm sure the health minister, Stephen Barclay, is still on his, what, 80-odd thousand a year anyway, regardless <laughs> of that And probably has
5: private health care, so he can get access to the <laughs> clinic. Well, I don't know clinics, about that. <laughs> sure. Anyway,
1: uh, Dr. Bakhtar uh, Ahmed, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you this thank afternoon. You thank very you very much for joining us on The Drive Time Show. You're welcome. 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at voiceofislam.co.uk. Um, what does it say in Islam mm-hmm. about strikes, though? And what, what is our, our guidance from, you know, His Holiness, uh, Mirza Masrur Ahmed, yeah. head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community regarding this?
2: Yeah, I'm I mean. mean, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Mirza Masur Ahmed, may Allah his helper, states, uh, I mean, states, um, it is a commandment of Islam for a Muslim to follow the law of the land where he residing. If the government is doing injustices, one opinion or one option is to leave that place and migrate. Alternatively, if your voice can reach the authorities and the government uh, representative, then you should use it to speak out against any injustice or cruelty or to condemn it. To do so is your responsibility. Uh, To every government, to everyone who is unjust, we should strive to make them recognise that injustice can never flourish. I mean, this is the normal response and I think So from from, you know His Mm. Holiness's
1: words, you know there is injustice here, right? Mm. Um, We've been kind of like getting these tweets. uh, Well, actually, they're not called tweets anymore, are they? They're called X's (laughs) or whatever they're formerly known as tweets. Anyway, Mm. we've been getting this information whilst uh, doing this segment, Mm. and you know, for for a junior doctor, and it's it's just it it just really just hurts me, right, Mm. to think that. You know, the, these guys have spent five years in education, well, doing the the degree, then another two years practicing their trade as a mm-hmm. doctor, and they're just getting paid fourteen pounds an hour. Yeah. And how belittling it must be! How shameful it must be I mean, right i mean a taxi driver can earn more than that i know i mean i mean uh, I, I mean this <laughs> is not we're, not we're not throwing aspersions <laughs> or casting aspersions on other <laughs> other career choices <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i it's going right back to the the beginning of the show where <laughs> i personally feel that someone who picks even education as a teacher <laughs> uh, as a doctor it's a vocation you're <laughs> not really going in into that field for money. Mm, absolutely, yeah. You have that inclination or that, uh, yes, that inclination in your mm. in your soul mm. to help <clears throat> someone, right? To make someone better through, you know, whether it be a doctor, mm. right? Mm-hmm. To help someone, to save someone. Yeah. And, you know, when you have, and obviously you want to get remunerated, right? Mm. You want to get paid for that. Right. But then when you're put in context, like, Raji, well, you know what? You've, you might as well not have bothered, yeah. right? Because mm. you can just go off, you know, spend uh, maybe a couple of weeks training and you're going to get more pay. I'm not going to say whichever possession, uh, sorry, uh, whichever professions. (coughs) But yeah, you're going to get paid better Mm. in that regard. But anyway, uh, I told you Imran, (laughs) just throw cold water on me. Um, Anyway, we're we're actually going to look at the perspective now. We're joined by our final guest of the day, someone who is, uh, we're going to be joined by Fahan uh, Chuktai, who is a final year medical student uh, with an interest in critical care. So, someone who hasn't come into the system as such, and let's see what he's got to say about the junior doctor strikes. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings be upon you, Fahan. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show.
6: Welcome Islam. how
1: are you? Yeah, I'm a bit heated currently. I think the air con's gone in, <laughs> in the studio. Or maybe it's just yeah. the subject, right? It's really getting me a bit wound up. Uh, more than really usual.
2: I turn on the AC for you. Who oh, knows? thank you.
1: <laughs> Everyone's kind of dousing me with cold water. Now, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard our previous guests, but we've pretty much um, outlined the situation with the junior doctor strike. Now, Yeah, Were there any legal, ethical considerations surrounding the strikes, especially in terms of patient safety and doctor responsibilities, from your perspective?
6: Oh, 100%. I remember when um, the strikes first happened, there was a lot of speculation in the media and also within the hospitals themselves surrounding patient safety and whether that would be compromised because of the strikes and the doctor's responsibilities, uh, whether they'd still be fulfilled if junior doctor's have gone on strike but this is all mitigated thanks to uh the, the systems that were put in place i think dr bakhtar mentioned them a little bit earlier with the british medical association calling in doctors if care is compromised during strikes and also uh, the senior doctors such as the registrars and the consultants as well as some local workers as well trust grade doctors that have stepped in in the meantime for so that care can still be as the best that it can be during the strike period because at the end of the day it is against core medical values or even moral values in general to strike while mm-hmm. only putting patient lives at risk
2: mm-hmm. so um dr um, farhan when you heard these kind perspective of perspective you know, doctor yeah <laughs> when you heard <laughs> this kind of yeah you know situation uh, you know how did the you know strike affect the moral and you know c- career aspirations of junior doctor in england
6: Um, Well, I mean, here's the thing. So we as medical students and doctors will always want to encourage aspiring medical students and junior doctors to whichever career aspirations that they may choose, Mm -hmm. regardless of what the salary situation is, because Hmm. it's all about passion at the end of the day. But nonetheless, it is true that many students and doctors have chosen to turn away from medicine because of the work to salary ratio. Uh, And it's out for two main reasons. One is that it can show that a a choice few students were probably hoping to become doctors for perhaps the wrong reasons, i.e. for just monetary gain. But those who, let's say, chose the right reasons probably felt obligated to change because, you know, with, with the economic crisis and things like that, that same work to salary ratio becomes unrealistic to live with. Um, Another current medical student. I, it's also hard to stay motivated if I go into the hospital one day and I see all I see are burnt out junior doctors all over mm-hmm. the ward. Often, no junior doctors because they're striking, um, because they're the ones closest to our current stage of progression, and subsequently, mm. for a lot of us, as well.
1: Well, it's your peer group, isn't it, Faham? Right. Absolutely. So when you see your peer group, I mean, it's it's common human nature to want to be like your peers, right? It's just natural. So when you see your peer group uh, as to, when I say junior doctors and to qualify that you can mm-hmm. still be a junior doctor after eight years of service up to 20 years of service right mm-hmm. uh, as a doctor so there's nothing junior and I, I find that term is a bit uh, derogatory in fact actually as a junior doctor but it's outdated for sure yeah so you know you feel that yeah i, I can imagine it you know if you go into your workplace and you see everyone's got a kind of like a, a you know long face right they're absolutely you know just completely cream-crackered because they've done such a long shift they've had so many you know they've had to go from uh, one ward to another ward they've had so many calls then you know that's got to be a disincentive right to actually getting in to this career
6: yeah exactly because then for example people in my position who are still in medical school they'll look to junior doctors for example and they'll they'll be like why would I want to do this why would I want to end up like that person you know Mm. like voluntarily so it is quite challenging, and it's been challenging for quite some time, now, especially since COVID, because uh, that's when the kind of I feel like COVID is kind of what kicked off this domino effect of the NHS effectively falling apart.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, almost the, an accelerant uh, to, yeah, to, a catalog, to, to sure. yes, a, cat- a catalyst. Where you are the doctor or the trainee doctor? <laughs> I as you know the terminology. Now, in terms of you know this strike, I mean how. Um, does it intersect with the broader discussion about the challenges and actual sustainability of NHS England, I should say, the healthcare system in England?
6: Well, um, the simple answer is the junior doctor strikes portrayed exactly why the NHS is falling apart in the first place. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as I was kind of touching on COVID, like, you know, since COVID, uh, juniors have been forced to work outside of, one, their pay grade, and two, their competencies, and not only has this affected the mental and physical health of junior doctors themselves, but this has consequently affected the quality of care that we can provide to patients. And this is a sort of vicious cycle that's been going on since March 2020 that has led people to kind of blame junior doctors for being too junior. There's other things like for example um, you know distrust towards the NHS mm-hmm. and that has led both patients and doctors to use uh, uh, utilize private facilities. Mm-hmm. And a lot of doctors even practice elsewhere, sometimes even the USA, the UAE, Australia. It's happening everywhere now.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
6: while obviously all of this is one key aspect, a lot of factors need to be taken into consideration and a wider discussion needs to take place regarding one, fair pay, and two, working hours for doctors. Mm-hmm. Only mm-hmm. then can the you know, historically prestigious care that the NHS has been able to provide for the past 75 years can be made evident again
0: mm
1: mm-hmm. well um farhan thank you very much for joining us this afternoon on the, the drive time show and uh, all the best with your i believe final year
6: uh i have two years left but yeah nearly there
1: <laughs> nearly there well yeah don't let all this kind of like the you know dissuade you you're you're, you're doing the right thing by all accounts
6: yeah no it's all it's all it's all god's plan and exactly. we'll, see, we'll see
1: how it all plays out inshallah. inshallah inshallah okay thank you very much have a good day you too O two oh eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. So we you know we're coming to the end of the segment. I mean we could do two hours easily. We could do shows and shows about sure. this really. But has his holiness said anything as regards to this in conclusion?
2: Absolutely. I mean um his holiness uh, allah be helper states that if we want peace in our time then we must act with justice we must value equality and fairness um, as the prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, so beautifully stated we must love for other what we love for ourselves, we must pursue the right of other with the same zeal and determination that we pursue our own rights, we, we should broaden our horizons and look at what is right for the world rather than what is only right ourselves and there are the means of peace in our age
1: yeah i mean reason. you know and if we follow or if the government mm. were to follow you know those words mm. of his holiness then there would be a resolution uh, to this dispute and many other disputes which would provide uh, a, a kind of like a quite a nice society yeah, in the uk absolutely. but with that we're going to go to the five o'clock news join us after when we will be talking about where we will be talking about um, major medical diseases.
6: أشهد ان
1: Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamualaikum, peace and blessings to all our listeners out there. Welcome back to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and Imam Imran Akram. So, in the first hour, we dealt with the uh, quite you know, uh, sensitive topic, yeah. right, of a uh, junior doctor's strike, and a few things we want to. Well, I personally want to reiterate mm-hmm. and put out there on the airwaves to our listeners. Mm-hmm. It's not. Uh, they're not striking for pay rises. Mm. It's pay, um, w- actually, what's the word? It's just escaped <laughs> me now, right? Uh, I remember retention as one thing, mm. but actually to get the pay that they deserved mm. over that amount of time. So um, there's that and also about doctor retention actually within the NHS system because if we really, truly uh, keep on going down this this. this you know, avenue mm-hmm. uh, that uh, the current government uh, has Decided it's going to go down, Mm -hmm. then ultimately, Imran. I think we're going to lose, you know, the the cream of the crop, those who are, you know, who who have been in the profession for a good number of years and still kind of like noted as juniors. So let's hope that it was
2: uh, a doctor restoration,
1: pay restoration, pay restoration. Thank you very much. There's my (laughs) co-host coming to my rescue, like (laughs) a shining knight in armor. (laughs) But uh, no. We'll be moving on to our next Mm. topic now, uh, which is also somehow related, right? Major illnesses. So I I think we're mm. talking about the uh, article from Sky News Mm -hmm. saying that one in five Britons will be diagnosed with a major disease uh, by the year 2040. Yeah. So it's quite... uh, Quite so major alarming. diseases
2: uh, like um, you know major diseases are illnesses that have a significant impact on individuals you know and communities and population due to their prevalence uh, severity and potential to cause uh, disability or death. Now these diseases often require significant healthcare resources for prevention diagnosis treatment and management in the uk major diseases encompasses a diverse range of health challenges that have a far-reaching impact on individuals and society example of major diseases include cardiovascular diseases including heart disease and strokes um, remain leading cause of mortality and the uh, the prevalence of various cancer such as lung breast prostate and uh, collateral cancer mm-hmm. also present significant health concern uh, respiratory ailments like chronic um, you know obstruction um, pulmonary diseases like um, you know and asthma contribute to the burden of illnesses so these are some of the major diseases which uk population has and um, also uh, diabetes, particularly uh, type 2 diabetes, um, linked to uh, lifestyle factors, poses a growing public health challenge. And then uh, mental health disorders, including depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, are widespread and often overlooked. Uh, moreover, dementia and mainly uh, Alzheimer's disease you know, affects uh, cognitive function and quality of life in an ageing population. Addressing the rise in obesity, combating chronic kidney disease and managing um, uh you know, uh, neurological condition like Parkinson's disease and tackling infection diseases such as uh, influenza and HIV/AIDS are also crucial factor of UK's healthcare landscape.
1: Mm. I mean, going back to the uh, stats by that uh, Sky News report, uh, spec- specific conditions are projected to rise significantly by 2040. Uh, I think you mentioned dementia mm-hmm. uh, by 45 percent, uh, heart failure by 92 percent. Cancer by 31%, diabetes by 49%, chronic pain by 32%, and anxiety or depression by 16%. And just to give you an idea as mm-hmm. to, because, yeah, we, we always quote these stats, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember doing a, a show about dementia, but, mm-hmm. you know, by 2050, we in the UK will have uh, people who are affected by dementia mm-hmm. the equivalent of the population of
2: birmingham
1: wow right so that gives you a magnitude it's, not, mm. it's easy for me to say oh it's mm. going to increase by 45 percent mm. right mm. but now you pretty much know actually <laughs> the population of birmingham is like mm. two million odd, Absolutely. right and i've never heard this t- term dimension just a
2: couple of years ago like four three yeah. four years ago i heard this term yeah and now it's you know overtaking our UK's population dimension i mean yeah well That's it's right, it's yeah. on the increase mm-hmm, and we
1: mm-hmm. we could see that you know what what are, what are i mean why is it the case i mean i think right at the top of the program we or mm-hmm. well, i i posed the question mm-hmm. we are still uh, the sixth biggest economy in the world mm-hmm. right uh maybe the government would like us to think that we don't have money to spend but we actually do mm-hmm. we have quite a lot of money to spend right on healthcare, mm-hmm. on uh infrastructure for mm-hmm. this country right. so why upon why are we now looking at the prospect that one in four adults uh, oh, sorry, one in five adults will have a major disease, mm. right? And it actually should be the other way around, other right? Way around, we should be eradicating these yeah. things as opposed to um, being more prone to them. But to speak uh, regarding this, uh, we've got our first guest of the day, uh, Professor Liz Sampson. Now, Professor Sampson is the uh, uh, liaison psychiatrist who works with people with dementia at the Royal London Hospital in Whitechapel and an honorary professor at U- uh, UCL, University College London, and Queen Mary University in London. Assalamu Peace and blessings be upon you, Professor Liz Sampson. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show.
7: Oh, well, thank you for inviting me today and peace be upon you too
1: thank you very much so um yeah we're basically we're talking about uh, this increase uh, or reported increase by the, the sky news that one in five britons will be affected by a major disease by 2040 uh and dementia being one of those now how might the lack of awareness because even uh, my co-host uh, Imran says you know we didn't really hear that much news about Mm. dementia right so how might the lack of awareness about dementia being a terminal illness Mm. impact the quality of care and support available to individuals living with dementia
7: well that's quite a complex question Mm -hmm. i think before we start what i'd really like to highlight is in some ways um, we've had lots of success in medicine and people are living longer and one of the reasons why dementia is now becoming one of the leading causes of death in the UK is because we're all living longer
0: mm-hmm.
7: um, so in some ways, that's something to celebrate. But yeah. unfortunately, after we get older and more frail and unwell, then um, the next major organ to be affected is our brain. Mm-hmm. And um, we, that's why we're seeing sort of this increase in people with dementia in the UK. Um, and it's really important that when people have dementia, they live well. But also that when the illness becomes more severe, people receive really good care towards the ends of their lives. Mm. Um, currently many health and social care professionals even the nhs policy makers and government aren't really aware of the fact that dementia will shorten someone's life so it's not just about being a bit forgetful um, it's about really developing profound problems with your activities of daily living being able to look after yourself And then some of the more core aspects of how our body functions, like the ability to swallow and uh, the ability to regulate our blood pressure and our pulse. Those those kind of functions, those bodily functions, become affected as well. Um, And I think that in the past, it's always been seen as just a memory problem and something that's Mm. looked after by families and in social care. And that's meant that care is really patchy and often families have to... um, Fund care themselves, mm-hmm. and the person with dementia needs to um, fund care themselves. So that lack of awareness works its way all the way through society, even to politicians at the moment. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Professor Liz, Liz uh, given the mis you know misconception uh, uh, that dementia care is mostly funded by charities, how can this uh, misconception impact the financial planning and support available to families and individuals dealing with dementia?
7: Well, I think people think that dementia care is mainly provided by the National Health Service, so they think it's free like other health care, but the current government funding models that we have means that people with dementia and their families often pick up the cost themselves so Mm. care for dementia is means tested Mm. um because it's classed as social care
0: right so
7: the social care that a person might need so assistance with washing and dressing feeding themselves really the basic care that's needed um is actually funded by the person themselves it's not funded by the nhs or charity mm-hmm. and that's really interesting because actually dementia is is a, is a disease is an illness like cancer or severe heart disease but historically it's always been something that dementia is is looked after by social care and that means the cost falls on families and the person with the illness
1: themselves but professor sampson would it not be advantageous uh for um those charities to to lobby the government to redefine uh dementia as a uh, you know as in the same field or in the same bracket as a cancer then
7: I think that's absolutely right and the Alzheimer's Society has worked really hard on this and um, has really been trying to push successive governments, so not just mm. this government, but previous governments over the last 20 years about this issue and all the major UK Alzheimer's charities and dementia charities um, have given that message really strongly, but it's not been listened to, probably because the government's worried that it's just not affordable for them and every government has kind of kicked the can down the road. Mm. And it's not really seen this as an issue. Um, they put lots of money into research, which is great. Although still nothing compared to the money spent on cancer. But the the money for that basic care still sits mainly with patients and their families. And that's despite the best efforts of many mm. charities.
1: I mean, that's the that's the point. When you have or you know, the problem with means testing is that every individual is so bespoke. Uh, some, and I, I suppose maybe that is where. Uh, the problem lies with um, someone who is suffering from dementia or dementia because it's so varying in stages. I mean, what steps can be taken to raise uh, awareness about the benefits of, say, for instance, later palliative care for individuals with uh, dementia uh, you know, in those later stages? And how can you know, this improve you know, their quality of life?
0: Well,
7: palliative care is a really important part of health care in the UK, and the UK has always led this worldwide. Mm. Um, Palliative care isn't about withdrawing care, so often people think, well, I'm going... To move to palliative care now, or my relative's going to move to palliative care now, and and that means that we won't um, do certain interventions with this person. We won't intervene about their health. Mm-hmm. So there is this misconception that palliative care is to do with withdrawing care and perhaps even bringing death nearer. But actually, palliative care is about keeping the person comfortable and maintaining their quality of life for as long as possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
7: And palliative care is holistic care. So um, palliative care we think about someone's physical health problems but we also think about their their psychological health, their, yeah, their emotional mental
0: well-being health,
7: and their spiritual health as mm. well. Mm-hmm. That's really important in palliative care and um, I think we've worked really hard um, throughout the palliative care community and the dementia community in trying to raise that awareness that palliative care is holistic care. It focuses mm-hmm. on supporting families and carers and the person with the life-limiting illness and it just doesn't focus on the mm-hmm. healthcare though it's about all those other aspects of care mm-hmm. as well and there's lots of really amazing outreach programs from the UK palliative care charities charities like Marie Curie Hospice Youth K mm-hmm. and also the Alzheimer's Society to really try and move palliative care up the agenda
2: mm-hmm. Um, professor Lise, what is uh, you know embed care and how can initiatives like embed care contribute to improving end of life care for people dying with or from uh, dementia? And what specific strategies might be implemented to address the uh, you know identified uh, steps gra- uh, gaps Well um
7: embed care stands for empowering better of life it, it, Pardon me. Embed care stands for empowering better end of life dementia care, and it's the largest research grant ever given by the UK government mm-hmm. to um, try and improve care in this field. So it's funded by the Economic and Social Research Council and the UK National Institute of Health Research. So it's a very large grant that's been running over six years. Mm-hmm. And we're doing lots of linked projects with a large team of researchers and also developing the next generation of researchers as well. And it's joint between University College London and King's College. And really, over this big six-year program of research, we're aiming to understand the problems better that people with dementia have regarding palliative care. We're using big data analyses to see what the potential size of the the issue will be um, in the future and to plan and project what what numbers of care might be needed. Um, And we're also looking at really practical solutions about how to improve palliative care for people with dementia. And this includes looking after people in their own homes and supporting families. So, this might be anything from making sure people have got proper pain control to making sure that their spiritual needs are being looked after as well. So, it's a really exciting program of research that's, um, that's finding out some really interesting results.
1: Mm. Um, in that research, yeah, this embed care, I mean, what, what, are the, what are the sample sizes then, Professor Liz?
7: Well, sample sizes can be huge. So when we're looking at big data, we can have thousands of Mm -hmm. people's data. Um, So we're looking at how people with dementia move in and out of hospital. And when they get into hospital, how can we get them home again as soon as possible? And we can use very large sample sizes of um, data from hospital records to look at Mm -hmm. that. So thousands Mm -hmm. of people. But also we deliberately use smaller sample sizes to understand family dynamics what's happening in communities and in particular communities doing say more surveys or doing um smaller group research exercises so we're kind of taking a very big level look but also a really individualistic look at what people need as well and people from all different backgrounds and ethnicities and Mm -hmm. cultures as well
1: yeah because dementia uh when treated i mean obviously we we understand or we we tend to understand what that disease is but culturally it's approach, or the approach to dealing with dementia must be very very different depending on your culture
7: it is and we, re- we need to be really attuned to that and, and obviously I work at the Royal London Hospital so mm-hmm. that's in Whitechapel so we have a very diverse local culture and obviously um, we look after many patients from a, a Muslim background and so mm. we have to be a really aware of cultural differences mm. for example some cultures will put their elders into a care home whereas in other cultures that's unacceptable yeah. and mm. they really want to look after their elders mm. at home and mm-hmm. it's up to us as part of our project to really... Make sure that the care is tailored to what yeah, that
1: family. Yeah, how to bespoke is.
7: that care mm-hmm. exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. so Professor Sampson, yeah, you know, what urgent changes do you see uh, as necessary within you know, the the current health and social care system uh, to meet these increasing needs of people living with dementia, uh, not just themselves, but obviously their carers, right? Uh, and to provide them with you know the care that they uh, are, they themselves require.
7: Well, I think part of it is about public education Mm -hmm. and that's how we can kind of really improve public awareness around this. And as part of the Embed Care program, we're doing a lot of work on public engagement, public awareness. How can we get the messages out to different groups? Because obviously, Mm -hmm. the more we get the messages out to Mm -hmm. voters and people who help to guide politicians in uh, their choices and where they want to send their money that's, that's really important um, I think it's really important that dementia is recognised as a genuine physical illness it's caused by abnormal brain proteins mm. and brain damage and brain shrinkage and it needs an equal footing with other diseases such as cancer and chronic lung disease um, and I think just the recognition of that at a, at a government and policy level would be really important in moving on how we um, make those changes And then obviously there's everything else, you know, some of the things that you've already been talking about today, having enough doctors, having enough social care workers and paying people for this really complex, challenging work. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's really difficult looking after older people with dementia in care homes and in their own homes. And um, I think we really need to recognise the complexity um, and the dedication that it takes for people to deliver that care.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Professor Sampson, uh it's been a pleasure speaking to you today. Um thank you very much for joining us on the Drive Time show.
7: Thank you for having me. Thanks. Bye-bye.
1: Yes. Bye-bye. So we've got a uh Imran, I think mm-hmm. an Insta story yeah. uh regarding um major diseases. Yeah. So, uh um, yeah so
2: diabetes uh, uh diabetes say 18% say that diabetes is going to be you know a major disease in future mm-hmm. and uh uh, 25 uh, people said that heart disease is going to be, you know, uh,
1: major... Hold problem. on, let me stop you there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's ask the question first. Okay, okay. Okay, let me ask the question first. What? Uh, so we asked everybody uh-huh. out there, what disease causes the most deaths in the UK? Okay, okay. So uh, now okay. you can give me the answer. <laughs> so yeah, diabetes,
2: um, 18, 18 people said diabetes, heart disease says uh, 25 pers- uh, people and cancer, 13 people. And liver disease, seven. I'm I'm not sure, you know, um, in the the stats we were reading, like 92% uh, uh, heart failure is going to increase in the future. Mm -hmm. In major disease, 92%. Is it because of obesity or some, some other problem? I'm not sure. Well, What's it's, the reason? it's,
1: I mean, heart failure can come, you know, to a variety mm-hmm. of factors. We should have asked our doctors in the first <laughs> hour. But yeah, obesity, yeah. Uh, lifestyle changes, right? Yeah. Um, maybe long, long lifespan, maybe. Yeah, I that? mean, and this is one of the things that Professor Samson is like, mm. I mean, actually, we should not just keep on bashing mm-hmm. uh, the fact that actually, you know, one in five uh, Britons will be diagnosed with a major uh, disease mm-hmm. come 2040, by 2040, uh, we should actually celebrate the fact that actually we are living longer, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And hence, you know, you do have these um, current diseases like dementia who who are more kind of like prevalent now because people are like, well, basically... Um, lasting longer Mm. really Mm. Um, and I think uh, although we've spoken about dementia Mm. we need to actually give our listeners out there exactly what dementia is about because there is that lack of awareness in the general public now dementia affects a significant portion of the global population uh, particularly the elderly as people live longer the prevalence of dementia is increasing uh, making it a major public health concern Uh, Dementia places a a substantial burden on healthcare systems, caregivers, and society as a whole. The care needed for individuals with dementia can be complex and demanding. Uh, Dementia has a profound impact on those individuals who are diagnosed, Mm -hmm. as well as their families and caregivers. The cognitive decline associated with dementia can lead to memory loss, confusion mood changes and difficulties in communication and reasoning okay. now according to the survey conducted by embed care the most extensive uh, dementia end-of-life care research program in the uk led by ucl and king's college london now this is the um the survey that okay. uh, professor liz samson was referring uh-huh, to mm-hmm. now this uh, has revealed that merely four 62% of the UK population mm-hmm. is knowledgeable about the fact that dementia is a terminal illness. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, still around about 60% of the UK population don't even think it's a terminal okay. illness. Okay. They just okay. think, oh, it's just losing your memory. Yeah. And that yeah. comes as part and parcel of you getting old.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Right? Uh, right? So it's just to give that some emphasis or some kind of like uh, context mm-hmm. now you know what's the future research into major disease
2: yeah so what if, can we say about it if we one? talk about especially you know um as we're doing vice of islam the islamic precept, uh, there's a very famous hadith or saying of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah, be allah upon him uh Hazrat abu Hurairah um, states i have heard from uh holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him that there is a cure for every disease in black seed except death now in seed or powder form kalwanji can reduce obesity um, aid digestion uh, you know treat several Um, uh, digestive disorders reduce blood pressure and treat uh, congestion now kalwanji oil has proven to be effective in reducing joint pain and inflammation in accordance with the saying the pursuit of scientific understanding continue to illuminate the uh, potential of uh, you know harnessing nature's offering uh, nature offerings to combat major diseases in the realm of major diseases such as cancer cardiovascular ailments and uh, neurodegenerative disorders and metabolic syndromes, the saying stand as a statement to the un- uncharted territories awaiting uh, exploration. Researcher, researchers have developed into the potential of plant uh, you know, derived components or compounds to halt or to stop disease progression, enhance treatment outcomes and potentially prevent these ailments altogether.
1: I mean we know mm. Aji Imran um, mm. with uh, his holiness, the fourth Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Mm-hmm. um that he was a strong proponent mm. of uh, holistic medicine right in yeah, terms yeah. of homeopathy right. and uh, you know coming from hong kong mm-hmm. we've had a long history as to herbalist yeah. medication oh, ayurvedic yeah. Yeah, yeah so you know there is that there's something that western medicine hasn't totally embraced mm-hmm. really right. um, because i mean chinese herbalism and acupuncture acupressure yeah, yeah. has been built over Uh, I suppose, trial and error Hmm. for 4,000 years. So there has to be some kind of truth to that. But uh, to speak more regarding this, we're joined by Maz Malik, who is a final year medical student. Asalaamu alaykum. Peace and blessings be upon you, Maz. Thank you for joining us on The Drive Time Show.
8: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So we're talking about major diseases and the fact that, you know, one in five uh, Britons, here will be affected um, by a major disease or be diagnosed I should say with a major disease uh, by the year 2040. Now what are the main factors or trends do you think contributing to this rising number of major diseases in the UK in recent years?
8: Um, So there's a lot of things that go into it obviously but looking at the UK specifically we are a late-stage uh, country in the demographic transition model, and we've got sort of a beehive-shaped population pyramid, which is not mm-hmm. how it used to look. And essentially what that describes is that we've got an ageing population. Mm-hmm. We are able to keep people alive longer than we ever have been before. And as people live longer,
0: mm-hmm.
8: the in, both the incidence and the prevalence, so that means the, the, the amount of new cases of these conditions like diabetes hypertension Mm -hmm. and the total pool of people with them uh is increasing very Um, so that's that's probably the overwhelming uh, factor for the uk obviously there are lots of other things as well for example uh, we're one of the most obese countries in in europe Mm -hmm. um, across the world and generally we have quite poor statistics when it comes to our Uh, when it comes to our lifestyle choices Mm -hmm. and I think that certainly also puts you at risk of having uh, these chronic conditions which are going up and up as you mentioned. Another thing that's worth bearing in mind is that we do now also have much better ways of detecting these conditions
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
8: so people that would previously have been undiagnosed with certain conditions will now be picked up either much earlier or you know will be picked up where in previous years they would not have have been able to do so mm-hmm. um you've got also things like the increased levels of pollution environmental factors that have been shown in and research most recently by the lancet to increase the burden of disease generally and we've also got quite topical things actually like um infectious disease so obviously we saw covid and long covid and how that makes you more likely to suffer from other disease but also the, the flip side of that is bacterial infections and antibiotics and how our overuse of antibiotics is leading to resistance Mm, and so we're getting diseases that are are trickier and trickier to To deal with Mm. yeah
0: Mm.
8: um Mm. so those are just some of the things and i think mental health is i suppose another domain which has now become quite topical over the last 10-15 years uh, which people would have suffered in silence with many years ago so just from a statistics point point of view there's, there's lots of reasons why the projections and the trends should be going up.
2: Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dr. Maaz Malik, um, we were discussing before that, you know, as compared to other diseases, uh, heart disease is going to increase in upcoming years, like around uh, 40, uh, 94%. Is there a specific reason for that? Is it obesity or something else?
8: So certainly that the heart is almost the culmination, in, in many ways, of, of your general health. Mm-hmm. Almost every disease that you have has ends up having any chronic condition you have ends up having an effect on your blood vessels mm-hmm. or your heart directly. So, because it's kind of this, this locus of of health in some ways, m- many things, many conditions affect, affect the heart. Okay, um, and, and yes, absolutely, things like obesity, less mm-hmm. uh, lifestyle things, um, choices that we've discussed have a bigger impact on this as well.
1: Mm. So, I mean, in terms of that, yeah, the, Imran's pointed out regarding specifically cardiovascular diseases. I mean, what efforts are being made you know, at the public health level to address these issues then and to actually promote prevention? So there's lots of
8: good things from a public health point of view being done. Things that you and I will know about, like smoking cessation, promoting, uh, educating children in school and also in some workplaces about exercise Uh, so these are things that uh, over the long term are going to have the the most impact on the sort of shorter term side of it we've got better and better drugs almost every year Mm -hmm. uh, to deal with heart conditions. and because we're detecting these conditions earlier we can put people on drugs like statins which will reduce the risk of people having heart attacks strokes things like this over time So, so that's what's broadly being done from a public health perspective Having said that, some populations are quite hard to reach, and so the impact in some in some domains
2: has been quite limited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, what role does environmental pollution or you know ex- exposure to uh, toxins play in the uh, you know rise of certain diseases?
8: So, in- environmental pollution is particularly interesting because, it, mm-hmm. in an unfortunate way, it has a remarkable quality to impact almost every system in the body, mm-hmm. and these small particles like nitrogen oxide. Uh, are able to penetrate through to everything really striking examples of this are respiratory conditions in particular mm-hmm. so there are maps which you can you can find in um, health journals which show you the incidence of asthma and okay. and, uh, and that you can link it with the uh, in, with industrial development in different areas mm-hmm. and asthma is actually interestingly a lot more common in more economically developed countries and countries which are rapidly industrializing mm-hmm. and the reason for that is that, uh, is because just there are more pollutants which uh, will cause more inflammation in people's airways mm-hmm. and more kids and adults have got asthma
0: mm-hmm. mm, true. one
8: example but it, it, like i said before you know there are countless things uh, countless effects of pollution it, it, overall it's been shown time and time again to increase morbidity so illness and mortality and all the um latest research shows that it's uh, the the impact of the environment on on health is actually something we don't even really think about when we're talking about climate change that is one of the most expensive impacts of it but
1: yeah Mm -hmm. so um recently i was speaking to some doctors regarding uh type one and type two diabetes and the actual um trying to get uh, a solution to basically type 1 diabetes right and so in terms of uh, and you know one of the solutions is that uh, one of the uh, doctors was working on currently was to actually have stem cells which would produce insulin but the problem with that was how do you introduce that into the body so having some mechanism which was Effectively made by a 3D or yeah 3D printer and thus embedded into the body of a type one diabetic uh, and releasing or to, to all intents and purposes being an artificial pancreas. So that, to my mind, when I you know thought that's amazing, yeah, in terms of technology. I mean, are there any other innovative medical or technological advancements uh, that you can? Uh, point out to decreasing or increasing uh, or addressing these increasing disease rates
8: yeah i think you've touched on a very um, exciting uh, topic in medicine at the moment so we're Mm -hmm. moving now more and more towards what's called personalized medicine or Mm -hmm. precision medicine and what that means is you tailor your treatment according to your patient exactly so for example in hypertension we will not give certain drugs to certain ethnic groups
0: Mm-hmm.
8: because they've been shown to be less effective. The same things now are happening across also cancer care, but also things like rheumatology, so your arthritis sees. So So we've got now research uh, to show us what drugs work in certain groups. So that in itself, from an epidemiological point of view, is a big advancement. In terms, 3D printing is really, really exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're thinking about starting to use it in cataracts. So I think in some instances it is being used in uh, producing um, specific lenses for specific people in cataract surgery. Um, there's also things like CRISPR and gene editing, which is quite um it's interesting uh, and also there's there's also apps and things out there you were talking about diabetes
0: mm-hmm.
1: now
8: diabetics can get these implants which will constantly monitor their blood sugar yeah
1: yeah i've seen that yeah
8: yeah and and so there's, there's loads of really exciting things coming out mm. that yeah um off the top, you guys were talking about dementia before as well mm-hmm. and there's now a new immunotherapy is a big thing in cancer, but they're also trialling it for dementia as well. Uh, one of the, the most common cause of dementia is Alzheimer's disease,
0: mm-hmm. and
8: there's the drug trials for for a new immunotherapy called adalimumab, which has shown some promise mm-hmm. in reducing uh, the symptoms of um, of Alzheimer's disease and subsequently dementia.
2: Mm. Okay, um, doctor. Uh, Wolver, um, when we look towards the stats, uh, the cancer is a you know a big disease, uh, and uh, I think the increase in forty-one percent in upcoming years. So, is there any uh, technological advancement in relation to to cancer, to tackling this disease, especially?
8: So, there's different sides to it. So, uh, cancer treat the main stages mm-hmm. of cancer treatment are medical and surgical. So, from the medical side of it, we've got there's always new drugs in development and in research and i think there was one on the news recently as well which uh, was was meant to be targeting a large number of them now we have much better cancer drugs than we've ever had before
0: mm-hmm. um,
8: and and on the sort of sur- and, and that will continue to grow but on the um, surgical side of it uh, we we're getting better and better robotics and surgery
0: mm-hmm.
8: so now a lot of operations which previously would have been done uh, with open, like for example my auntie's had a um lung uh, tumor removed recently and that was done laparoscopically which which wouldn't have happened many years ago and, okay. and having it done laparoscopically means that she didn't have to have a chest cut open to mm-hmm. have tumor removed so, so there's some fascinating things um, both in in the uh, surgical side of it and the medical management of cancers mm.
1: well uh, thank you very much for your time with us this afternoon it's been a pleasure speaking to you uh, thank you for joining us on the drive time show thank you very much thank you O two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. So the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, told his followers about the benefits of sharing as opposed to over indulging in the good things in life. He said, "He is not a believer who eats his full, but his neighbour goes without food." And you know what? What can we take from that? you know, that uh, tradition of the Holy Prophet then, peace and blessings be upon him. I mean,
2: one thing is you should take care of your neighbor. And Mm. then uh, the second thing is that, uh, you know, Islam is a a, a religion which teaches moderation. So Mm. in the Holy Quran, Allah, the Almighty says, eat and drink, but do not exceed the bounds. bounds. So I think uh, one of the the famous sayings of the, you know, um, ancient um, physician is that all diseases start with your stomach mm-hmm. so if you if you're you know eating uh, like full stomach or then it's going to be you have going to have a back, st- back stomach and you know, the food is not going to uh, digest properly, mm-hmm. and that's how the diseases, you know, starts. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's a very important, uh, you know, saying of the Holy Prophet. Mm-hmm.
1: And in terms of Islam, mm-hmm. I mean, we know because it is actually one of the pillars mm-hmm. of Islam, and it's fasting. Yeah. Now, fasting brings a complete psychological, or sorry, I should say physiological change, mm-hmm. giving rest to the digestive tract and the central nervous system. The trouble is that we miss. What we miss during fasting, we often make up for uh, at iftar time, right? Yeah, Yeah. too many greasy samosa, (laughs) I suppose. Uh, Which is no longer a glass of water and some dates, as it was during the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him. Now, fasting, when done in a controlled and appropriate manner, has been studied for its uh, for its potential health benefits and its impact on various diseases. It uh, It has become a sumptuous festival, which is incomplete without several courses including fizzy snacks uh, cooked meats juices with high contents of sugar as well as fizzy drinks um, and i think that's what we're talking about iftar when absolute. we break the fast i mean if
2: you if you look to the with the core principle of taftar is that you increase your spiritual food and decrease your physical food but uh, unfortunately you know um uh, when it comes of uh, when it that start time comes we don't you know uh, we forget everything every teaching and mm. then we start eating with and, and i must admit uh, actually mm-hmm.
1: my you know personal mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. yeah because uh, obviously you've been fasting from <laughs> day dot right mm-hmm. so i've been fasting most probably for the best part of 20 odd years okay right um and it's still hard oh, yeah. right oh, yeah. initially mm-hmm. but it has got better yeah. and it's working out and and you know initially i think yeah i fell into that uh category where Mm. when you're opening your fast it's Mm. like wow potato chops (laughs) uh samosa all the greasy greasy good good stuff stuff, right yeah Yeah. and then fizzy drinks but actually then you become so tired, yeah. yeah. You can't eat anymore, and then it just it just just it's fills you up, and it's just and heavy it's, inside yeah. you. So I'm not saying, yeah, I, I hold my hand up, I'm not <laughs> saying I don't have the yeah. You know, I've done si-
2: I've done similar things, but you know, uh, you gradually learn that the yeah. the thing is that. Um, you can enjoy fasting only if you eat less but yeah. only if you eat just uh, whatever what you need not more than that and when you do that you can enjoy the worship and you can enjoy the prayer namaz everything uh, but if you overeat it, you cannot do your namaz properly. Everything yeah, is exactly. So, and then uh, this is a spiritual benefit. And then
1: you have a you know, physical benefit. Mm. So if you, you know... Um, I mean, even uh, in modern day now, we have... You know, intermittent all these, fasting. All, and yes, all these yeah. TikToks, all social media say intermittent fasting. Yeah. It is good for you. Yeah. Um, it is uh, physiologically and psychologically it is good for you. But, you know, um, we're going to end the show with... Uh, in an interview that I did earlier on today okay. with uh, Beth Vincent mm-hmm. uh, from Cancer Research UK uh, talking about you know another major disease mm-hmm. uh, and I can't remember what the percentage of was that we'll be suffering from cancer um, 41, 41% 41% yeah, right? Yeah. so it's quite a big increase mm-hmm. uh, so we're going to end the show with that but b- before that we're going to just look at Something that uh, regarding major diseases and health in general that the Holy uh, of the Promised Messiah, uh, may Allah strengthen his hand, said regarding this. And he said, "It should be understood that according to the Holy Quran, the natural state of man is intimately related to his moral and spiritual states. So much so that even his eating and drinking habits affect his moral and spiritual states." That is why the Holy Quran emphasizes the physical cleanliness and physical moderation for prayers, inner cleanliness and devotions. After careful consideration, one concludes that this is the true philosophy and the physical organs have great effect on the soul. Uh, This is from his book, A Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam, uh, pages 18 to 19. Now, Through meticulous investigations into the uh, mechanisms, interactions and therapeutic properties of botanical elements, modern science is poised to unearth novel strategies for the prevention, treatment and potential cures. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I think, you know, Imran, we end with uh, words from uh, the current uh, head of the Worldwide Uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim community Yeah,
2: so uh, he said his holiness that God indeed is a healer who has power to grant health and healing and a believer has firm faith on this attribute of God indeed the recovery of a person afflicted with illness to complete health is a faith inspiring event for a believer Allah provides healing not only to human beings but to his entire creation including animals as well as plants Hazus said that in this manner, God not only provides physical healing, but spiritual as well.
1: So very um, impactful, I should say, impactful yeah. words from His Holiness. So, uh, like I say, just stu- stay tuned for the interview with Beth Vincent. But just before then, uh, a big thanks to our producers for our show today. Dr. Cyrus Safir, uh, Faiza Merza, who is senior producer, uh, <laughs> Leiber uh, Liber Mavasha, uh, our technician, Wahhab, and my esteemed co host, uh, Imran Akram. This is Talib Man. uh Goodbye from Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. Stay tuned now for the interview with Beth Vincent. Assalamu, alaykum. As-salamu alaykum. Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. Um, today we're talking about uh, major diseases and, uh, uh, according to the Sky Report, one in five Britons will be suffering from a major disease uh, by the year 2040. So uh, as our guest, we've got Beth Vincent on. And our Beth is the uh, health information manager at Cancer Research UK. Peace and blessings be upon you, Beth. Thank you for joining us on The Drive Time Show.
9: Thank you for having me.
1: So um, with Cancer UK, so how has the cancer rate in the UK changed over time and why specifically is, is getting older considered quite a significant risk factor now?
9: So the short answer here is that overall more people are getting cancer and we're predicting that by 2040 there will actually be half a million cancer diagnoses every year in the UK and that's quite a big rise of about a third and of course all of those people are going to be requiring world-leading care support and treatment so it's really important that we're thinking about this, we're looking forward and we're getting prepared and To answer the second part of your question, um, getting older is a really significant risk factor for cancer and that's because as we get older, um, basically our cells um, divide all the time and the older we get, the more times this happens. And every time it happens, uh, there's a risk that something might go a little bit wrong, um, some damage might happen. And our bodies are really, really good at repairing that damage, but they can't always get it all. And so sometimes this damage builds up over time. And as that damage builds up, the risk of it turning into cancer in case increases. Sorry. Um, so, often that damage is just down to chance but it can also be caused by other things that interact with our cells like chemicals in cigarette smoke or uv rays from the sun um, so basically yes this damage happens it builds up and therefore the risk increases
1: mm. so uh, you quite a few factors there not just with um, the aging population or uh, the older you get you uh, your incidence to cancer does increase i mean can you elaborate on the patterns uh, between lifestyle changes, uh, choices, and actual cancer rates, I mean, is there, um, you know, any specific factors which impact upon this?
9: Yes, absolutely. Actually, four in ten cancers are preventable, and what oh. that means is that there are things we can all do to try and keep our risk as low as possible. Um So the biggest preventable cause of cancer is smoking uh, and smoking has a huge, huge impact. It's responsible for about half a million hospital admissions every year. Um, and we're predicting that it will cause another million cases of cancer in the UK between now and 2040. Um, so if you smoke, the best thing you can do to reduce your risk of cancer is to stop smoking um the second biggest cause of cancer is um, overweight and obesity and this is actually linked to 13 different cancer types including breast cancer and bowel cancer which are two of the most common cancers um, so another really important thing that we can all do to try and keep our risk of cancer lower is to keep a healthy weight and the best way to do that is by eating a healthy balanced diet and what i mean by that is um trying to cut down on things like processed meat and red meat and also cut down on foods that are high in fat and salt and sugar Um, and try and eat lots of uh, whole grain foods that's things like brown rice or brown bread or brown pasta um, and fruit and vegetables as well Uh, so those are all really important ways to keep a healthy diet And other really important things we can do to try and reduce our risk are cut down on alcohol, because that increases your risk of cancer. And staying safe in the sun is another really important thing to think about, um, not just on sunny days, but actually in the UK from mid March to mid October, the sun can be strong enough to cause skin damage. So think about taking care by staying in the shade, covering up with clothes, and also applying sunscreen.
1: Hmm. I mean, um, given that. Uh, you know, very good messages that you're passing on to our listeners out there, Beth, uh, regarding lifestyle changes, you know, giving up smoking, having more of a balanced diet. But do you think that, uh, you know, public health uh, campaigns uh, should be, you know, increased in that sense? Because, yeah, I remember maybe a couple of years ago, you did have quite a lot of um, advertising, even on mainstream media, say, for instance, you know, the five a day uh, varying your, your diet, making sure that you have that, uh, in your diet, uh, the five, you know, whether they be vegetables, uh, fruits. Um, and then, you know, previously, I think maybe about 10 years ago, it was quite progress, well, quite aggressive, um, government campaigning against anti smoking. But that seems to have, I suppose, dwindled, uh, recent, in recent times. I mean, where do you stand on that public messaging?
9: I think absolutely public messaging is really important. Um, and that's something that we're working on constantly uh, as an organisation at Cancer Research UK. And also, you're absolutely right that the government uh, needs to play a role in helping everybody to make healthy choices. You know, the world around us really influences how easy or difficult it is for us to make the healthy choice and we certainly are urging the government to take steps um, to improve that for people. Um, At the moment uh, we're working on our Manifesto for cancer research and care. Um, many people in this country who are diagnosed with cancer are facing long waiting times, unequal access to treatments, um, and also cancer outcomes aren't keeping pace with other countries at the moment. So we're developing a long-term manifesto to try and improve this um, and work with the government to to try and support the NHS to do all that it can for for patients with cancer. And another big campaign we're working on at the moment is our smoke-free UK campaign. Um, as I mentioned earlier, smoking is the biggest preventable cause of cancer. And although uh, you know, like you said, in the past there has been so much work to um you know highlight the dangers of smoking, there have been changes to packaging on cigarettes, we had the ban on smoking inside. Um there have been lots of progress, which is really good. But we're actually still off track to meet the smoke-free targets that the governments have set. Um, we're meant to be smoke-free, uh, which is defined as less than 5% of the adult population smoking by 2030. But we're looking like that's not going to happen unless something changes. So we are calling on all of our supporters up and down the country to join us in signing a petition that will present to the Prime Minister urging him to take really bold and decisive action to achieve a smoke-free UK by delivering the funding that's needed to help people who want to quit smoking quit through things like local stop smoking services and also try and make sure that people who don't currently smoke don't start smoking.
1: Mm-hmm. Because um from, I suppose, the public's point of view, you've got these concerted campaigns of the government, but maybe there is a bit of a conflict of interest because you've got the big tobacco you know, industries um providing, I mean, if you buy cigarettes, you're paying tax at the end of the day. So, um, you know, the, I, I suppose the government is in a bit of a hard place in, in one sense, but I suppose if you look at the long-term benefit of maybe... Uh, their target of 5% uh, by 2030, um, reducing, you know, those people that smoke and actually stopping those who want to smoke or maybe um, are thinking of starting smoking um, is going to benefit uh, the whole economy in the long run, really, uh, health wise, and most probably, you know, pound wise.
9: Yeah you're absolutely right there are huge huge costs to smoking you know first and foremost to people's lives and and their health and their well-being which is you know the most important thing but smoking does also cost a huge amount of money in in things like um you know people might uh, develop a health condition from smoking which means that they can't work and that's going to cost money um having to access healthcare it costs money and we actually think that over 13 billion pounds is lost annually in the UK in productivity costs from tobacco related causes um, so you know fundamentally the the fewer people are smoking the more people serve to to benefit
1: and do uh, does your organization cancer research uk also i mean you've, you've talked about some your long term plans and manifesto do these include maybe uh, changes in you know the general public's lifestyle because you know one of uh the you know the biggest contributor to, to cancer you've said uh and you know the uh, statistics would bear it out it's smoking but also having a healthy lifestyle uh, obesity these are um unfortunately quite prevalent in the in the uk uh in uk society currently so is there going to be from cancer uk that uh, unified approach to also looking at uh, lifestyle changes.
9: So yeah, one of the one of the best things that that we can do, is try and prevent cancer because this saves lives and, and it relieves pressure on the NHS. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Our focuses as a charity are, are smoking and trying to support people to stop smoking uh, and to bring in changes to make that easier for people. Um, and also to try and encourage people um, to, you know, make the healthy make healthy choices and keep a healthy weight. But I think, as I mentioned earlier. The world around us makes it really, really difficult uh, to do that. It can be really challenging um, to to make the healthy choice sometimes. So, we are, you know, urging the government to um, restrict things like junk food advertising because we know that um, seeing adverts has a big impact on our buying habits, and also take steps to. Um, Limit offers on unhealthy foods in supermarkets as well. So we're doing lots of work to try and make sure that the government is creating an environment where it's easier for us to be healthy.
1: Mm, Yeah, because I mean, it's it's human nature. When you're in the supermarket and you're shopping, you see those, uh, you know, buy one get one free and you think that's actually a saving but ultimately you you end up buying so much of whatever it is whether it's uh, um you know freezer food fridge food uh, and it goes off unfortunately and uh, that in itself is uh, takes a toll on the on the economy as well
9: yeah there is some interesting evidence that suggests that um, sometimes actually those sorts of offers encourage us to spend more money than we would have ordinarily spent. So it's really important um, that the government works on legislation that encourages supermarkets and other retailers to to make it easier for for us all as shoppers. Um, to try and make healthy choices and that includes making healthy options more desirable as well so you know let's let's go into a supermarket and and see offers on vegetables and that sort of thing um it's really important that the government supports business to to help us and in as individuals
1: mm, excellent well uh, beth it's been a pleasure speaking to you thank you very much for joining us on the drive time show today
0: thank you